Greetings, Guardian, and welcome to XP Gains. My name is Zavala, and I am here with my fellow Vanguard member, Mr. Silverstrike. Today, we are going to be discussing Destiny 2. Buckle up. Destiny 2. We've been playing it most days this week, so... Yeah, but, you know, we haven't played it 100 or 200 hours. No, but before we were playing it zero hours. Exactly. So, so we've, you know. we've, we've come back. We've come back. Yeah. Uh, at the start of the year, we had our very long XP Gains episode one, and we complained about Destiny 2's, you know, like near the end of the first episode. Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. Uh, and then they've changed some stuff. But uh, yeah, let's, let's, take, let's go back to the base game. Yeah. Let's take a nice uh, walk and a skip down memory lane and yes. remember where we came from. Before we launch into this, let's have just a quick aside here. I think it's worth saying that the main reason that we're talking about this now is because of the recent release of Destiny 2 Forsaken, which yes. is the most recent expansion that has changed an awful lot about the game. And so we really wanted to take a look at where the game began, how it's progressed since then, and what Forsaken now brings to the table and why we've come back to play this game again after so long of not playing it at all. And with that said, take it away, buddy. Let's get the show on the road. Let's go back to Destiny 2 in 2017, which is the base game. Late 2017, Destiny 2 released. Um, initial impressions by most critics, I think, were, were okay, but... They were okay for like the first 24 hours. <laughs> as people played through the story, they quickly realized that when it came to the end game, there was not that much reason to keep playing. Yes, there were exotics to earn. Yes, there was stuff to do. You could play public events, but it got tiresome real quick. And there was nothing that was really a ton of fun to keep playing after you beat the main campaign, essentially. Yeah, and once you had done like the strikes and stuff like that, that was pretty much it. And there wasn't really much of that content either. So yeah, you were really just playing the same content over and over and over. And I feel like there was another problem kind of endemic like intrinsic to that as well, which was that a lot of the gear was not very satisfying. Yeah. Um, I remember a lot of people talking about how the legendaries didn't feel very legendary and the exotics were out and out disappointing considering that you can only take one legendary gun and one legendary piece of armor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, one of the other issues that um, you had was, you know, the, the only real mode that you could kind of get more out of in time and say, okay, this is something we can keep playing is PvP and... PvP in comparison to Destiny 1, which was a 6v6 affair most of the time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Had been, like, watered down to a 4v4 mode. Yeah, that dis disappointed a lot of people. I think a lot of people were really keen to see the 6v6 come back. I remember people making dedicated videos on YouTube about this. They had loved the 6v6 so much because it was unique and different. And then nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's It's kind of sad in a way. But um, yeah, that was one of the bigger problems that Destiny had at launch. Um, of course, they also had, in the original Destiny, they had the kind of the Eververse where you could buy emotes and stuff like that. And they expanded upon that in this game. And they kind of, you know, whenever you level up, you get uh, an engram that you can redeem at the, you know, the, the shop where you can buy silver to get mm -hmm. more cosmetics. So you're, they're kind of nudging you towards that. In a way that is like, we're not going to give you good loot, but we're going to give you some nice accessories and, and emotes and 
and sparrows, uh, which are the vehicles you can use. Uh, sure, and don't get me wrong, that's cool to get periodically as you play the game, just automatically. I actually think it's a good thing that the game is periodically rewarding you with cosmetic stuff that doesn't yeah. make you more powerful than other people. It doesn't automatically put you ahead just for hours played. But at the same time, dragging you back to the Eververse real money store in order yeah. to redeem those is a little bit shady. So yeah, that was uh, Destiny in 2017. A, a bunch of issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really. One of Oh yeah, there was one more thing. Um, in comparison to Destiny 1, there were a bunch of people saying... In Destiny 1, you could go and examine your weapons and select different modes for your weapons and, you know, do a bunch of customization options. And that was different in Destiny 2. You had this attachment system uh, at launch and it was not received very well. No, no, it was kind of, it was, it felt very limited. I think that there were only a couple of things you could customize about any gun and the differences that it made were generally small. So then Bungie took all this feedback and, um, of course, you know, they released their expansion pass uh, alongside the game. So they were, you know, they had two pieces of DLC, essentially, um, mini expansions uh, in, the, in the works. And the first one released uh, to little fanfare, I think, uh, it was called Curse of Osiris, and it was generally received very poorly. Yeah. In particular, I think it was received poorly, not just because, well, we're we're going to go through all the problems that the expansion itself had momentarily, I'm sure, but it's also the fact that it was released so close after the release of the main game. It was really like people barely had time to get angry about the, the main game having no endgame content before this new piece of pay-to-play content came out. And people felt like, so really what you've done here is just chopped the end off that game and sold it to us for more money to get us to buy the season pass or the DLC. And then it was also really disappointing. Yeah. So I remember this yeah. being a criticism by Angry Joe as well. And he he actually reused in his review, he reused a clip from his Destiny One review where they'd wow. done exactly the same thing. So yeah. They're they've definitely kind of made the same mistakes that they've made in Destiny One. Um where they Which is really unforgivable. Really yeah, they should have known better. They've released a, a base game that was okay, but kind of disappointing with flaws. And then they release a bunch of content that is not amazing. And then they release an expansion that improves upon the original game and makes it better again. And that's kind of what happened here. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like kind of anemic base game weak additions to the anemic base game for more money and then an expansion that makes it all better essentially but it's also a pay-to-play expansion that makes it all better yeah so the the big problem with those two mini expansions is that their campaigns were fairly short mm -hmm. um especially especially curse of osiris had i feel like no worthwhile content if any no, really. I mean, it basically just felt like a random dungeon that wasn't random, and that yeah. was the whole campaign. Mm. The like, Warmind was better okay. in that regard. Yeah, I felt like the Warmind was a little bit more enjoyable. It had a more appealing visual aesthetic. I, I really would have liked to see... I believe I, I remember you mentioning this, actually, while we were playing at one point in the uh, the Curse of Osiris map on Mercury, and you were saying the Infinite Forest was such a huge opportunity to yes. create randomized dungeons to create some really deep and immersive content in settings that 
and when I say settings, I mean um, environments in the game yeah. that you really couldn't explore any other way. Really unique and wild stuff could show up in there, but it just kind of doesn't. It's actually really boring, um, which is very, very sad. And they've missed that opportunity, but it's kind of, it's gone now. Unless they're going to go yeah. back to Mercury and build on that content, presumably with more pay-to-play content, and then you know what people are going to say. So we bought Mercury, and now we don't own all of Mercury. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening, but... Um, no, it's a real shame. The, f- the first Destiny had an expansion called The Taken King, which added the dreadnought of uh, a guy called The Taken King, Oryx. Um, and actually, I've read that his dreadnought is slated to reappear in Destiny 2 um, as kind of a, a free dungeon, but I'm not sure what uh, if that is true, but that would be nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the two DLCs were, you know, underwhelming. The only original thing that uh, the Warmind expansion added that I thought was interesting, but um, we'll share, we'll t- we'll tell you something about our experiences there, was the uh, the horde mode that they added, where you have yeah. to go through waves of enemies. I believe it's called um, uh, Escalation Protocol. Yeah, Escalation Protocol, and we we actually uh, like attended, or we we were helping. Some people clear it, and uh... yeah, the way the way that's structured is really bizarre, though, because it's like an open world event, but then it's incredibly high level if you just stumble into it. Yeah. So yeah, really, kind of a, a bizarre mode, and it's it's going on all the time. Yeah. It never stops. It's it really bizarre. Stops. It's very strange. And then at the end, you need a key to open up like the the most rewarding yes chest yes, that you of get, course. which of course we didn't have. No. So. So you stumble through this, you get there, and you're like, oh, this is cool. I'll, I'll go along with this. It's like a gigantic five-stage or whatever world event. More. I think it was like seven or eight stages, I think. Well, however long it is, you battle your way through this. It gets harder and harder and harder. You're dying constantly. There's always higher-level players reviving you. You get to the end, and you get nothing. Yeah. But there's no warning. It doesn't tell you, by the way, you're going to need keys to do this. No. It's not like... It would have been so easy as well because you could have a small chest at every stage that would yeah. require you to have the necessary key in order to get the main chest at the end. But then it's just you get to the main chest at the end and there's nothing, mm. which is, yeah. I thought. Which yeah. was frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember so. being a little bit annoyed at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> as far as the main quests uh, is concerned, Curse of Osiris was underwhelming with that, you know, that huge opportunity wasted. Warmind was more interesting. Um also had a better it, world map, actually. It had a, yeah, it had. Uh, it also had a funny interaction with Zavala at a certain moment where... Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You have to do the voice now, so... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Guardians do. Yeah. We've got, <laughs> oh this, we've got this small meme going uh, when we're yeah. playing. Because at a certain point in the cinematic, uh, you know, Zavala introduces something and he's, he's, he's explaining what we need to be doing. And then he ends his little pep talk with because that's what guardians do which is and so cringy <laughs> it's super cringy and then we you know thane starts adding this uh that's what guardians do yeah just after everything <laughs> after everything which has has you know personally made the game much more enjoyable for me <laughs> it's also revealed a rather staggering pattern because every time we got a new objective i would say because that's what guardians do and 
it would always be a requirement that we blow something up. It's literally like, oh, this panel's not working. Blow it up. Oh, there's a, a locked door. Oh, find the power reactor. Blow it up. And we were literally halfway through Warmind and we couldn't figure out what we had to do. Yes. Because both of us are not meathead players. And we were just like, so wait, we, we, like we hacked this console, but the door isn't open. How do we progress? And eventually, I think you started shooting the reactor. You're like, oh, you could blow up the reactor. And I was like, because that's what Guardians do. <laughs> it's just yeah. Like, and, yeah. And then it was immortalized as a meme. So, um, yeah, we've, we've just been doing that. And, you know, every time we get an objective, it turns out since then, everything needs to get blown up, even when we're, we're going through Forsaken. So spoilers, there's a point in Forsaken. It, it's not a really bad spoiler, but there's a, there's a point in Forsaken where Cade can't get a console to work. And he just shoots it. <laughs> yes. And, and then everything works fine. <laughs> so it's like, because that's what Guardians do. <laughs> just yeah. blow everything up. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah. So we figured out the pattern. Every objective yeah. is about you shooting stuff. Um, In a shooter game. Breathtaking. Yeah. Who would have thought? But anyway, <laughs> it's still kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And of course, so. we also figured out that you can do a, an excellent Zavala imitation. So... Uh, a little bit here and there, yeah. I think I have my moments. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty funny, especially like whenever he's super serious in a cinematic, and he's just like, "We need to do this, Guardian, and it's vitally important." And I'm just thinking, that's what Guardians do, like, <laughs> just every single time. <laughs> there, there was also one moment in the expansion that was kind of immersion breaking, <laughs> where yes. you know we just gone through this entire complex and we'd opened doors and we finally got into the innermost part of the war mind. And we open this door and Zavala's already there after we've worked our way through this entire complex. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was so weird. How did how did he get there? Like, he apparently just teleported in there. Like, there's just a, a bus <laughs> that goes into the center of fucking Rasputin. Like, <laughs> he that just was... gets off the bus, walks over to the door, we open, and he's like, what are you doing, Guardian? And he's just like, what? How did you get there? Like... <laughs> Ah, uh, but anyway, yeah. that's that's Zavala. He has magical powers that enable him to kill all joy in the universe. <laughs> Wherever there is joy, Zavala yeah. will be found. Good old blue balls. But anyway, um, so personally, yeah. I had I had more fun with War Minds. <laughs> uh, we had a few funny moments. But if if you just look at what the what the expansion has to offer, it is not a lot. And I imagine, yeah. We played those expansions, or at least I did. Uh, I did play Warmind. I think you did as well after Forsaken's release. Yes. Um, I think you played Curse of Osiris before, right? I basically, yeah. I played Curse of Osiris shortly after because I wanted to know if it was worth getting back into the game at that time. I had already paid for the DLC and I thought, hey, I might as well check this out, get my money's worth. I had yeah. not yet uninstalled the game at that point yeah, because the, the, the first DLC came so close on the heels of the base game. After that, I did uninstall the game because Curse of Osiris was kind of disappointing and I was watching Let's Plays and things like that for Warmind and people were almost across the board saying, if you're still playing, definitely check it out. It's fun. If yeah. you've uninstalled the game, don't bother. And I was yeah. like, that's me. <laughs> so that's yeah, you. yeah, yeah. I, I didn't bother, but it was actually okay. It was actually okay. I think we partially benefited from the fact that Forsaken was introduced. I think that's also the reason why the escalation protocol was so difficult because the average level of everybody who was playing that mode, you know, the level had increased to 50. So yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. I, I'm guessing that the enemy scaled as well, which is why it was difficult for us to do as like level so 30 guys. 
I wonder if that scales according to whoever initiates the event or something like that. Because I mean, if you're thinking about it, like raising up the um, the scale level to fifty is kind of assuming that everyone there is bought. Forsaken? Forsaken, yes, yes, yes. So I would definitely hope that that's not the default level, and it was just that we happened to be there with a lot I, of level 50s. I, I don't know. I remember initiating the event, and it was still Accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I remember we got sent somewhere to do some little side quest, and you were like, oh, what's this thing? And you activated it, and then it was like, boop, boop. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, shit, what's happening? It's, it's like hundreds of really powerful enemies. We're like, run away. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. How is that? I swear, man, we make more of our own fun than the game gives uh, to yeah. us to, <laughs> to do, basically. But yeah. Um, That's true. So I kind of feel like we've covered Curse of Osiris being very small, having only one one open world event, one public event. Um, That's right. Very small map. So small, in fact, that they won't even let you use your sparrow there. Yeah. Because if you could, it would immediately become obvious that it's barely larger than an American football field. Um. And then Warmind, which is better. Definitely a step in the right direction. If Curse of Osiris had been like Warmind, I would not have felt cheated buying the DLC. Let's yeah. put it that way. I can if, imagine. If we, had, if we had two DLCs on the scale of of the, the Warmind expansion, I would not have felt ripped off. But with Curse of Osiris just being so rushed, crap, and basically the entire budget spent on one cinematic. Yeah. I, the, yeah, okay, that made me angry. Anyway... Moving on, though, we've we've yeah. talked about that. We've talked about. I know a lot of people complain about the reskinned enemies. I would also really like to see some different enemies in the game. I mean, obviously, there's an element of that now yeah. in um, in Forsaken. Yes, that's in Forsaken, true. and that naturally, I think, leads us into uh, Forsaken. So, where do you want to start on this? Because Forsaken has a lot of changes. Maybe we should start with the campaign. That's probably the first point of contact that a lot of people are going to have. Yeah. So yeah. So you, yeah. if you've played through the original campaign and through the campaigns of Curse of Osiris and Warmind, you have to play all of those campaigns first. Then you can start and play the new campaign, which basically takes you back to a location from the first Destiny, which is called the Reef. And in the Reef, there's this um, complex called the Prison of Elders. You and Kate Six, which is the funny hunter vanguard from the game, who was arguably overused, by the way, in Destiny 2 um, as kind of the comedic uh, guy. A.K.A. the only interesting character. Yes. Uh, you and him uh, go to the Prison of Elders to kind of fix the situation since there's been uh, a prison riot. That's how it's being reported. But it turns out more is going on than meets the eye. And that's where the campaign begins. And it's a, a darker and grittier campaign than it was before. It's uh, not happy. And uh, spoiler alert, I, I suppose. Uh, but you you find out the first five seconds uh, after you boot the expansion. It looks like Kate 6 is, is, is dying or something is happening. You don't know what's going on, but you quickly find out something's gone awry. And uh, mm -hmm. that's how they throw you into the expansion. Yeah, so um, don't blame us for the spoilers because it spoils itself. Yeah, exactly. Really, it immediately reveals the outcome of everything that you're going to spend the next hour of gameplay doing. So, exactly. Yeah, kind of a bizarre storytelling method there, but um, there you go. Anyway, but overall, um, I think it yeah. was a a good campaign. Hey, look, I remember when we were going through the new environments, and I remember saying to you, "This is really well done." 
Yes. The the spaces are allocated right, so you feel like you have enough room to move around and fight, but not so much space that it's empty. It feels yeah. immersive. It has that darker, slightly more serious feel that I remember really liking the Destiny franchise, the Destiny universe for, that it wasn't just you know, sunshine and rainbows, there is a little bit of rough and tumble in the universe. It has a very clean, very, uh, uh, yeah, a very clean and straightforward aesthetic, but there is an element of, of tragedy in the world and a bit of, yeah, we do have to fight here or we're not going to survive. And mm-hmm. I felt that was kind of lacking in the base game and the other, the two expansions, but yes. Forsaken, I think brings back that darker, grittier feel. The environments are, are really immersive in that regard. There's a lot of detail in particular, like yeah. when, when we were in the prison setting, you're down there in the bottom of this humongous looking row of cell blocks, and there are drones flying all over the place in the air. There are enemies jumping around in the background who you can't fight, but they give the impression that it's not just you walking down a corridor yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's damage that's really obvious to the environment. It's I think it's really well done. Really, really yeah. well done. So And of yeah. course, uh, the game also introduces an entirely new set of enemies totally unique and uh, also a bunch of bosses uh, i don't think we want to go and spoil the entire dlc since it's been uh no of course out not. for not too long but it's i think it's a substantial amount of content um one one more thing i i, I wanted to say is at the end of the dlc you get a an item uh that you have to kind of do a few quests to level this item it's a quest item it's yeah. a quest item, essentially. And then you get access to uh, what is called the Dreaming City. It's kind of uh, a bit of a chore, I guess, to get to that place. But it's an entirely new hub. Also with a, a few, uh, with one or multiple missions. I'm not sure. If, I don't think I've done everything that there's to do on that planet yet. So I don't know. But it's essentially a new location that you can go visit um, with interesting scenery. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty nice. That's also where you can do the new raid and also a special mode, which is similar to Escalation Protocol, I've heard, but I haven't actually had the chance to play it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're into kind of the, the end game content, that's definitely where you want to go. I think it's also, since we're talking about quest items, it's also worth mentioning here that you will get an item that uh, you kind of have to work towards through a quest yes. in order to to receive this item. And it's an exotic that is really excellent it's a very cool gun it has a lot of really interesting effects it may not even be the kind of gun that you're super excited about getting but it is a very good example of what an exotic could be in the game and you do work towards that through a quest which i actually really like so instead of grinding rng and some people will get this right away and then have no reason to continue playing Mm -hmm. whereas other people will play and play and play and play and play until their gameplay experience has been ruined through repetition until they eventually get it. I like the fact that you have a set method of progress. You have a progress track that you make make headway on as and when you want to. It's only one gun. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but it gives you something cool to make progress on over time. It gives you a reason to experience different parts of the game and various other things. And I think uh, both Silver and I really like this method of rewarding high-level items through quests or through like gameplay achievements or something like that that you can make progress on as and when you want. I think that's really, really good. And it's got a great item at the end of it. Um, So I think that's definitely worth mentioning since we're talking about quests. And I really like this new 
uh, high-level reward for a quest style of of offering new equipment. I think that's really good. Yeah, I think the variety in the quest steps is also really good. So you have to do a few strikes, you have to do some PvP, you have to do some, you know, player versus world, um, all that good stuff. Um, there's also a requirement for you to play the new mode Gambit. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to go talk about that as well. I think, yeah, um, that would be the next thing to talk about, actually. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a great way to get you to play kind of all the new parts of the expansion if if you kind of want a guiding hand to take you through um, mm -hmm. and get a nice reward at the end. So it kind of gets you out of your comfort zone, perhaps, in, in a few of these quest steps and gets you to... Uh, like or maybe more, yeah. more hand cannons and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Like a, another another way of looking at that, I think, is that it's not just that it pushes you out of your comfort zone, but it's also that it, it gives you a reason to experience some things that you may not have had a reason to do before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the tendencies in any kind of a looter shooter game is that people figure out whatever is optimal, and then they will just repeat that process, destroying their own enjoyment of the game in the process, because that is the best way to get rewarded. Yeah. And that you end up kind of ruining the game for yourself. And I think this is a really good protective method against that. Now, one thing that I will say is if you're not a big fan of PvP, this kind of thing where there are there are quite a few PvP requirements. Obviously, the PvE ones you can do yeah. basically however you like. And it does grate on me just a little bit that you have to do PvP. And in particular, one of the requirements in the in the quest is that you have to get headshot kills in PvP, which I'm sure there's some people who just will say, why? Why does this have to be a requirement? Yeah, as, as far as I know, that's the only PvP crucible requirement that is in the game mm -hmm. for, for, the, for that quest line. Yeah. Um, yeah, now that we're talking about PvP, um, I want to quickly mention that crucible, uh, the, you know, the original complaint was 4v4 is, you know, not good. So they changed it. It's 6v6 again. All is good in the world again. Um, it's faster. Um, it's, it's better. I know you don't like how quickly everybody gets their supers. Um, but no, uh, no, no, no. It's not that I don't like how quickly people get their supers. The, the thing that I find frustrating is that there are supers in PvP. Oh, okay. I think it's, very disruptive to the balance in the way that it isn't in games like Overwatch, because in Overwatch you yeah. have a lot of different abilities floating around at all the, all times, basically. Um, but in particular, you and I have both noticed a very strong trend towards hunters being yeah, in the yeah, game, yeah. because they've obviously got the ability to dodge really big things, they've got very powerful melee abilities, they can go invisible, so on and so forth. So yeah. I think that it kind of skews the game in ways that are not desirable. Um with access to things like that. But that's, it's really, I, I'm i not even yeah. really sure that I want to get into that because it's such a huge discussion about balance. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big discussion. I think the biggest technical constraint that PvP suffers from is the fact that there's no dedicated servers because you're yes. always connecting to some other player uh, in this. Uh, I think this is also, I mean, it's a part of the, the Destiny 2 architecture as it was envisioned at the start. So they can't just suddenly start adding servers for the PvP mode, it just won't work that way. They need to re-architecture. Maybe this is something that they can fix in in Destiny Three. Yeah, but uh, this doesn't seem like something they they will be able to fix. No, and it is it is quite disappointing as well because you and an opponent with both using hitscan weapons can actually headshot each other, which yeah. shouldn't be possible. <laughs> PvP ends up feeling a little bit wonky every now and then and unbalanced i think simply because of that because if you're the host you have 
inherent advantages over the uh, opponents you're facing. So that can end up being a little bit of a, an exercise in frustration. But overall, I think as long as you don't really care too much about, oh man, I need to win every match. I want things to be super fair or as fair as possible. I still think it's a fun mode. Um, it's just, it can be frustrating every now and then. Mm -hmm. But I think that is something that applies to most multiplayer games. But I do think it would be significantly better if we had dedicated servers for this. Yes, I do agree. So I think with that, though, we've talked about um, the different multiplayer things and the, the old multiplayer has come back. Let's talk about yeah. the new multiplayer, which is Gambit. Yeah. So this is this is a really interesting mode. I really want to love this mode, but there's one sticking point. It feels like this is always the problem with Destiny 2. There's always one thing that's basically just a turd yeah. on the living room carpet that kind of ruins it for you. Um, so <laughs> a quick overview of Gambit is that it's yeah. a hybridization of PvE and PvP. Essentially, you have two different teams. Both teams have their own map. And in that map, you or their own arena, if you want to call it that way, they must kill invasions of PvE-style enemies. So these are AI-controlled. They just run around. They invade the map. They hang out in a given region, and you have to go in and exterminate them. For doing so, you earn points, which you have to pick up from the enemies as you kill them. More powerful enemies will drop more of these points. And... Once you pick up the points, you are then carrying the points, which means that if you die at any point, you lose the points you were carrying. And in order to safeguard these points, you have to commit them to a, a central depositing location. Yeah. Uh, once you've done this, a number of things will happen. One is that your, your team's charge bar, I guess you could call it, will go up or yeah. will fill. Once it's completely full, this will summon a boss-type enemy that your team has to defeat, and once your boss has been defeated, you will win the round. However, it's not that simple. When you deposit the points on your side of the field, enemies will be spawned on the opponent's side of the field, which block them from depositing their points. And the more points that you save up to deposit in one instance, the more powerful this guardian enemy will be, called a blocker. So yes. if I have just a few points, I'll get a small blocker with 10 points. It'll be a medium blocker. And with the full 15 points, which is the most you can carry, it will be a large blocker. Yeah, um, that's right. So the goal is always to balance risk against reward. You obviously want to have the, the optimal threat that you can make for your opponent is that everyone on your team, uh, is it a five-person team? It's a five-person team for Gambit, isn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah. I think so is, yeah. the the optimal setup would be for every person on your team to have the maximum 15 points, all of you to deposit your points at the same time, which means that you would spawn five large blockers on the opponent's side of the team. And that can be pretty difficult to deal with. Um, yes. It's, you know, very powerful enemies, and it prevents them from depositing any points whatsoever until all of them have been killed. So if you if they have anyone else on their side who's still trying to gather up points... They're usually off basically playing on their own, while everyone who wants to deposit points is stuck dealing with these huge enemies with half a team and so on and so forth. Now, so far, I think this game mode actually sounds like a ton of fun. You run around, you kill yeah. the PvEP, the PvE enemies, sorry, you gather the points, you deposit, and there's a bit of you know risk and reward. There's a bit of yeah. outplaying your opponent, not just by killing the enemies and getting the points faster, but by depositing them strategically. Yep. And then there's the invasion mechanic yes. where there's a portal that periodically opens and one member of either team can go and invade the other team's map, which 
turns this into this weird assassin-style PvP yes. thing. The problem is, for me anyway, the invader doesn't go into the opposing team's side of the map to steal points or something like that. They go in in order to murderize the crap out of the enemy team, and they are empowered by being tougher, dealing more yes. damage, etc., 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 in order to achieve this. So what you'll see is that someone pops onto your side of the map, pops their super, and effectively becomes invincible while one-shotting everyone on your team. Yeah. It's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I found it to be hit or miss as well. Um, you definitely need to have someone from your team go and invade the enemy as well. Otherwise, it doesn't. it's not balanced out and you will be severely set back because your guys who are carrying around all these... Uh, these points will just lose them and it's not that you are taking the points away from the opposing team because they can just keep going um yeah it's 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 kind of a lot of tactics and, and strategy uh in terms of planning needs to be looked at in this mode and i feel like we've we've only scratched the surface but i i definitely agree that it can be very frustrating if a a powerful player invades your your side and just absolutely kicks the crap out of everybody on your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can um, remember there was there was a point where we were playing. Uh, I think it was like the first or second time we played, and we didn't really know as much about the game mode. So, I mean, you can't you can't judge a game mode based on the first or second time you play. I understand that. Taking this with a pinch of salt, there's still the fact that with the two of us not really knowing how to handle that, our entire team ended up getting spawn camped for a continuous thirty seconds by one person yeah one per which was frustrating it seems kind of ridiculous that one person can invade and have that much impact on a game as well yeah i was wondering maybe this is a matchmaking issue uh because i got the feeling that this person who was just dominating us was you know so much more of you know probably had invested so much more time into the game probably it played a bunch as well um well and it's also this is the only mode where you can do kind of competitive pve yeah. Which is an idea that I've been interested in for a long time because not everybody wants to deal with the stress of PvP. No. But you would still like to race or do something against a human opponent that's actually going to think about what it does. It's not just going to be a boring AI, the yeah, same yeah. as every other AI that you've shot today. If you come home from work and you want to do something exciting, but you don't want the stress of constantly watching your back and looking over your shoulder and so on, then I think this is a really good alternative mode. The only mm. problem is that then it makes it completely predicated on this idea that you have to be good at the pvp or you have to have someone on your team that is yeah one of the the other mechanics is that once you spawn this final boss that you're supposed to take down every time somebody on your team dies that final boss gets some of its health back um now this can be a valuable tactic if you invade the enemy team who's ahead of you so let's say their um their main boss has been you know their health bar is decreased by 50%, so they've, they're halfway to winning the game, essentially. If we can get someone to invade and kill the entire enemy team, then that boss will be back at full health. So, you know, that sometimes has caused some really exciting and cool moments, and sometimes it's been very frustrating as well, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, that was kind of the thing, though, is like when we started out... We didn't invade, and it seemed like nobody on our team was invading the enemy much. Or not enough, at least, yeah. Yeah, or not enough, exactly. Or not having enough impact when they did. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> then we got to a point where you would invade pretty much every game. 
and you were almost the designated invader. Yeah. And I was making complete mincemeat of the PVE enemies because that's what I like to do. Yeah, um, and that so I was a using lot all better. my abilities and stuff. Yeah, and that worked really well. We started really winning games almost every time at that point. But it feels so stupid that you have this really basic tactic where someone always invades who's decent at PvP, and then you have at least one person back at home who can manage their points efficiently so yeah. that they just keep spawning those big blockers. And the, the what does the opponent do about that? You know, like they, they have to be able to outfight someone who's massively more powerful than them. Oh, and it's also worth mentioning here that when the invader goes into the enemy side of the map, not only do they deal more damage and not only do they have much higher damage resistance, they're much more difficult to kill, they can also see the entire enemy team's locations all the time. So it's like, oh my gosh, it's so many hacks <laughs> all at once. When you're being invaded and the enemy is in your line of sight, you they are clearly indicated to you as, hey, here's the invader and they have like a... A red silhouette as well. Well, that's the same as normal PvP. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, whenever you see the silhouette, it's usually too late. <laughs> so. Yeah, because they already know where you are. Generally speaking, that's been my experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, even I took one one chance at invading uh, one time. I've I've only done it one time. Yeah. And I went in and immediately just got two kills with half a magazine, and I was like, "This is this is stupid." Maybe yeah. Maybe you need to play it a little bit more to get to appreciate it more. I think it's. You know, there's definitely some frustrating part to it, but in general, I think it's a nice option to have. It's a nice, it's a nice mode. Um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I think it's probably my favorite PvP mode, even despite my complaints about it. And I oh, think yeah. the thing that I really like about it is the way that you can play it more strategically. It's not just a bloodbath all the time. And I, I really like that. There is actually a, a choice. There's a way that you can play that gives you a better chance of winning, even if you don't like the PvP, like I do, yeah, or yeah. like I don't. I should say. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, all, all, on the whole, I would say I really like the concept of Gambit. I would say that there's maybe some balance to be tuned yeah. there. But on the whole, I think the idea is a really good one. Destiny really shines in its PvE. So it helps that there's now a PvE-PvP hybrid to kind of expose the strengths of Destiny. So Absolutely. I think that's I think, cool. I think that's really good. Yeah, one more thing we wanted to mention, I guess, was how they have changed some of the mechanics of the game in mm -hmm. Destiny 2 Forsaken. Um, for example, the weapon equipment system has been reworked. Oh, yeah. Um, in, in vanilla Destiny 2, when it was originally released, you had no real reason to carry around special equipment. Usually you run around with two primaries. In Destiny 1, there was this concept of a primary and a secondary weapon, and you had those fixed slots, and you would carry around like maybe an assault rifle and a shotgun or an assault rifle and a sniper rifle. And that was changed in Destiny 2. You could swap them out for whatever you wanted. So most people were running around with either two auto rifles or an auto rifle and a pulse rifle or an SMG. Like, you know, the, the, the more efficient high fire rate weapons. Um, and now what they've done is they've actually divided it up so that instead of having two slots where you can, in, can put primary weapons in, you have an energy weapon slot and a kind of regular ammo slot. Kinetic. Yeah, kinetic uh, ammo. So you can have different types. You can have a hand cannon that uses energy ammunition or kinetic ammunition. Which means effectively, if you think of kinetic as being your primary, energy as being your secondary, and power as being your special, you end up being able to basically get all weapon categories, hand cannons, fusion rifles, whatever, in any slot. Yeah, and also the other thing they changed is when you examine these weapons, especially for any drops that are exclusive 
or uh, introduced in Forsaken, they're not really exclusive to because if you don't own Forsaken, you can still get some of these drops. I don't think maybe you can't get the exotics, but you can definitely get some of the normal yeah, that's drops. True. Uh, and they now have uh, randomized perks. Mm-hmm. And this was also something that that has uh, returned from Destiny One. So when you get a weapon, it has two random perks, and it can be anything. So even if you get a duplicate of a gun, it could be that the gun you've just gotten has better perks or more interesting ones. So there's still always that element of surprise, like, oh, I got a new gun, but what perks does it have? On the other side, though, it also means that the identity of various legendaries and things is not what it was. You can't guarantee, for example, that if you get a certain weapon, it will be a certain playstyle, for example. No, that's true. That's true. But uh, that still exists, but that's now been relegated to exotics. Exotics are always the mm-hmm. same. So. Yeah. Well, and the exotics have been rebalanced so that they're more effective. Uh, as you mentioned, of course, you can get a broader variety of weapons in every different um, slot. Yeah. So potentially, if you grind enough, you will eventually be able to get a, a specific loadout that you really like. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And of course, I think legendaries in general have just had their perks and the number of perks that they get, particularly with armor. I've been noticing this a lot. Armor has a lot more perks than it used to have. And they seem to do more things now, so you can actually spend some time getting items with perks that you like, and then make a build. Unfortunately, in in my opinion, it's still RNG how long it takes you to make your build, but, you know, still, it's better than not having it at all. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about, and that's uh, infusion. Oh boy, yes. So in the the base game of, of Destiny 2, you can infuse your weapons. So let's say you obtain this really cool pistol when you were playing Curse of Osiris. You got a really good drop, and it was locked at 300 power let's say you could in the base game infuse a weapon with another weapon and then it would absorb the power level uh so that they would be equal so the weapon that you're using to to level up the the other weapon would be of course would be gone but as a result by sacrificing one weapon the other weapon would actually get the same rating as the weapon that you sacrificed for. But of course, the weapon that you sacrifice is going to be a weapon you don't like or don't care about. So usually you would, like, maybe, oh, we, in, so in the base game, let's say we got a really good pistol at level 10, and when we completed the game, we were power level 200, and our pistol was power level 100, then we could say, oh, I've got this crappy pistol here that's power level 200, I can use that to make my obsolete pistol fun and viable mm-hmm. again and that's a great system now they've added a certain item requirement to infusion which has probably made people like not use infusion anymore at all i imagine or make it a very very like rare thing that yeah, you do really because what you need now to do infusion is you need masterwork cores and those are super rare. So I remember from from the base game, I would be constantly infusing guns that I liked. And, you know, sometimes, oh, and then I picked up one that was better, and okay, we can infuse that weapon. Nowadays, if you pick up a weapon that's more fun to play, but it's like, it's got a lower power value than whatever you're using already, unless it's an exotic, there's no point in leveling it up, because... You would need to use infusion, and you would be using your your masterwork cores. And just for reference here, masterwork cores 
the the very rarest type of item in the game is a masterwork and this is basically a legendary that has a special bonus on top of its normal effects um, so it would have all the normal perks all the normal stats all the normal everything that that legendary would have in a standard circumstance but a masterwork gets a little bit extra which you can level up and that makes it very cool so you can get some interesting bonuses and so on if you salvage a masterwork you will get masterwork cores, which is the salvage material that you get only from salvaging those masterworks. So you can imagine it's a small quantity material from a very rare type of item. You have to do a lot of grinding to get substantial numbers of these. And so, you know, as Silver said, this is basically a matter of building up enough of these that you can infuse a few things. And you're not going to do that on anything but an exotic usually or a legendary maybe if you have a particularly good role on a legendary you might do it but really only if you're planning to play with that specific item for a very long time yeah there's two ways you can obtain a masterwork or other than from a masterwork weapon and uh, one way is to get a special drop which you can activate and then every boss has a much higher percentage of dropping one and the other way is through the spider. And the spider has an entire trade system. And you can buy masterwork cores for legendary shards. But there's a bit of a dark pattern that is involved when buying these masterwork cores. I remember I, I was listening to a podcast um, where a veteran Destiny player explained, you know, some items in Destiny, you cannot buy in bulk. There's no vendor window. So if you want to buy an item... You have to hold down the cursor and buy an item one by one by one. And for the last four years, ever since Destiny 1 released, that has been the case. You buy items one by one and you can repeat the transaction. So, okay, so we've got uh, 10 items of this that we need for 500 Glimmer, which is the money currency. Let's buy that. Let's buy that. Let's buy that. So you can do that as many times as you want. Now, in order to buy Masterwork Cores you need to pay with legendary shards. You get those by dismantling your legendary gear. For 10 shards, you can buy one Masterwork Core, but only once a day, because here's the kicker. If you keep buying them, the price that you need to pay for a Masterwork Core doubles every time you buy one. Yeah. So buying one, you could get the amount of legendary shards that you would normally get from like one legendary um, salvage or, or dismantle would be about three, I would say, usually. It's around there. So if you need 10, that's three-ish legendaries, which is not hard to get. But then when you need 20, that's six legendaries. Then you need 40, which you can see the pattern here. So here's what happened to some of these veteran players. They jumped into Forsaken, but they didn't notice that the price doubled. Now, as you can imagine, if you've been playing this game non-stop since release, you could have thousands of shards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really could. So what happened to more than one person that I've read and heard about is that they went to the spider and they started buying these shards. And they kept hitting the buy button, but they did not notice the doubling of the cost. So at a certain point, way faster than they expected, the option to buy the Masterwork Core was grayed out. And they were confused. Huh, what's going on? Oh, a Masterwork Core now costs 600 
legendary shards. Oh gosh. Whoops. Yeah, whoops. So yeah, in 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 the case of at least one particular person who I've uh, heard talk about this on the on a podcast, he spent about yeah two thousand shards on on this, but and and if essentially his last two purchases were like five hundred for each master record, so that's a that's a bit of a dark pattern and a and a big gotcha there because you know. That's bad. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it doesn't, it's not like a, a warning pops up or anything like that. It just kind of sits there and it's very small text and so on. I think um, it seems like the whole system was really biased towards the idea that you're going to build up legendary shards as you play the game anyway. You will be able to buy a few masterwork cores here and there in order to speed up the process, but really you're supposed to get the masterwork cores. I've seen this problem in other looter shooter games like Warframe. Whenever a new resource is released, of course, there's a brief period where nobody has it. Everybody's complaining. And I don't want to jump on the bandwagon here and say, oh, yeah, Masterwork Cores are terrible. It's probably going to be true sooner rather than later that there are plenty of people out there with enough Masterwork Cores in order to upgrade the things that are important to them. But how often? You can't do this while you're leveling. Yeah. If I'm at gear score... 500, which is the soft cap, I can technically go up to 600, but I can only do that by incrementally getting powerful gear, which is always guaranteed to push my power level a little bit, right? So with the exception of that powerful gear, I'm not able to advance very quickly, but then you've got stuff like Iron Banner, which is dependent on your power level. You've got various other activities that are dependent on your power level. How often am I really expected to infuse this gear? If I go from gear score 500 to 520, it would be nice to be able to catch up, but I can't. Reasonably speaking, I'm not going to spend the, you know, three to five or whatever masterwork cores. And then, of course, masterwork cores are also used to upgrade your masterwork bonuses as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. So if you want to take advantage of an actual masterwork, you basically trade between that or having your important gear at a relevant level. So it doesn't really seem like this is a very good system. Yeah. And I know that there are already people who are establishing the most efficient means of, of farming these, basically. Like you go to the spider and you spend a ton of um, glimmer if you have it, I guess. But more importantly, you spend some, uh, some legendary shards in order to get some of the collectible items that you get from the various planets. You then go and turn in those collectible items and you'll get a bunch of legendaries, which you can break down into more legendary shards you'll always get back fewer than you invested buying the collectibles, but you do get a large portion back, which makes it relatively efficient. And in the process, every single legendary that you get has a chance of being a masterwork, which will give you a masterwork core. So it's just kind of like, really, guys? I mean, do we have to do this? Can we not just have, like, every time you do a boss, you get a masterwork core, you know, or something like that? Would that really be so bad? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It feels like a little bit of unnecessary grinding for a game that's already grindy in its mm -hmm. nature. The thing that I really wish I would see, and I know this is getting into the territory of conjecture now, but what I would really love to see in Destiny is if you're going to randomize all the weapon perks, you're going to randomize all the rewards, you're going to randomize whether or not it's a masterwork. I have no problem with a certain amount of that randomization because it does create variety, but let me salvage a specific perk or trait or something out of a weapon 
And then if I eventually get one weapon with a single perk that I like and another weapon with a different perk that I like and a third weapon with another perk that I like and then a fourth weapon that's a masterwork, I can build my own gun if I have a gun that I really like and then I can take a high power weapon that's much more recent and keep the power level going on my existing gun. And I can kind of customize and build. I think that would not be a hard system to implement and it would really dramatically improve that feeling of grinding for nothing, basically. Or you grind and grind and grind and you get a gun that has one perk you like and one perk you don't. Do you use it? Do you not use it? You know, like, wh where am I supposed to be? And if I keep upgrading the power level, I can't get that that silver bullet gun that's really good for my play style and I really like it and then just keep upgrading it because that would actually be okay. If you upgraded things with Masterwork Cores but you knew you could rely on a specific piece of gear being exactly what you wanted, it wouldn't be so bad but you can't. You have to grind until you get that, and then you also have to grind until you can upgrade it. Uh, just, uh. Um. So some of the systems have been improved, but some of them have been, you know, neutered, like the infusion yeah. system. I think they're better than they were, kind of, in yeah. a lot of ways. I th I yeah, I think, I think that's a fair But I think that say. we're not, hopefully we're not in a final form just yet. Yeah, I hope they do some more tweaking, and then we'll get there. Uh, okay, so one more thing I wanted to say is we have not played the raid. We're just a two-man fire team at this point. Uh, so we have not played the new raid. We haven't actually played the the vanilla base game raid, which was not actually out at release, apparently. But they did release it like a couple of weeks into the game. So we don't have any experience with that. But uh, apparently it's a very long and arduous mission to complete with good rewards. Uh, so I've read. That being said, I think that's most of the stuff we wanted to discuss about Destiny 2 Forsaken. Um, if you had to like give an overall score or you know report on your overall sentiment regarding this expansion, how do you feel about it? Okay, so if I'm basically drawing this from kind of 1 to 10, where 1 is Curse of Osiris, <laughs> and 10... And 10 is, uh, <laughs> this game is everything I could imagine it being. I would say that we're probably somewhere around a 7 at this point. So that's that's a solid two-thirds. I think there's a lot of room for this game to be a little bit more open in its world, even with the Forsaken providing the bigger environments and the new hubs and so on. I think that there's improvement to be made to the PvP. I think there are balancing and systems improvements, mechanics improvements. Um, I think that Bungie really needs to get some therapy and realize that cinematics are not the answer to everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> spending money elsewhere is also okay. And um, I, yeah. for anybody who listens to this and says, oh my gosh, these guys, more people who don't realize they have different teams. It's like, yes, but it all comes out the same money pot, doesn't it? You know, at the end of the day, yeah. you budget for artists who are going to do your cinematics or you budget for coders and systems people and mechanics people who are going to build the actual game. I would be far happier with much shorter cinematics, even though I will say that the cinematic with Cade 6, I'm not going to spoil what it's about, but everyone who's seen it will know what I'm talking about. The Cade 6 cinematic in Forsaken is superb. Superb. Very well done. It's It's got great audio. It's got great choreography. It's really well done. And even though I had no idea what Cade was talking about towards the end of that cinematic, I felt it. 
there was emotion there to be realized. The biggest disappointment for me was that the following cinematic had Zavala and Ikora basically going and just being cardboard cutouts again. And I was like, what? You just got it so right. How can you then go and do these characters so wrong? But how can you do that, Guardian? How can you fail me now, Guardian? But anyway, um, yeah, so I would say it's a it's a 7 out of 10. That's, okay. that's where I would put Fair it. Enough. But I would have put the base game probably around a 4, really. Very yeah, polished. Yeah, yeah superb shooter smoothness performance optimization yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's the the it feels really good it feels really good to play but i mean there are also general balance things like scout rifles why are they so weak i i don't get it yeah um yeah uh, just certain little niggling things i think are really what dragged it down um in the first game there was just not enough to do like that that 4 out of 10 is literally just 4 out of 10 for how good the shooting felt but yeah, now I feel like it's that 4 out of 10 for how good it feels, and then we're at a good 3 out of 10 for immersiveness, setting, much improved systems, mechanics, and so on. So that that, that would be me. I would roughly agree. I would say it's a 6.5. Okay, okay. I was wondering if you'd go higher Something than me. Something like but that. Yeah, yeah. Some of the problems of the game are still present. I understand the grindy nature is some of the appeal, so I'm not going to, you know take away points for that it's 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 what the game is but i think they could tone it down a notch when it comes to the masterwork cores and that i'm hopeful that they'll kind of take a look at those systems and change them bungie have been very you know open about what they want to change and i'm curious to see what the future will bring for destiny there's this annual pass that you can buy today so you know there's this push for this pass and we don't know what's going to be in there. I mean, we have an idea what the content is called and we have some idea. There's this roadmap that they have. That's cool. I mean, that's a positive yeah. thing. But we haven't seen the content, no. right? We have a, a rough idea of what is going to come, but we we don't know. And if the previous season pass is anything to go by, and if the way that Forsaken has been so much blatantly better, I would not buy at all ever zero chance before you get a chance to see what's actually going to be in that package that you're purchasing there's um i think they've said there's going to be no new planets or anything but they're going to expand upon stuff and bring back stuff from the first game so i think i i said at the start of the episode that they might bring back the the taken king ship the dreadnought maybe that's one of the things they bring back maybe it's it's free for everybody maybe some of the events on there are like limited to, to the expansion i don't know um but i'm hopeful that they'll listen to fan feedback make improvements to the systems and turn destiny 2 into the game that it could be so we can get towards that 8 out of 10 that i think destiny could be so so for you where would you put where would you put the maximum potential of destiny in your book Right now, I think the maximum potential of Destiny 2 is an 8. Okay. That's where I think it will just end until they make some of the bigger changes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's fair. In a sequel. So when you go and make a sequel, there's stuff that I think Destiny 3 should have, like dedicated servers for PvP. Yeah, that's that would raise it by half a point. One. That would make PvP a smoother and nicer experience. Maybe not make all the objectives Shoot everything, yeah. Guardian. That would be more interesting. That's what Guardians do. Maybe more integrated lore 
so that I don't have to go to the triumphs and then, oh, look at the, like, sure, I can read the Lord today and it's cool that it's in there. It's good that it's in there, but it would be even nicer if it was actually, you know, more immersive. Yeah, I feel like the there's still a fundamental disconnection between the world that we play in and the world that we read about. Because some of the some of the lore is written from some really interesting perspectives as well, like characters that we we don't really know who they are; they're just in the background, and it's sad that you never encounter these people, and that the characters we are faced with, which is the vanguard, just seem like cardboard cutouts. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think it's a six point five. I would say now with uh, with the Forsaken expansion, uh, it's been fun. But it's definitely not the kind of game that I will keep playing the way we, for example, kept playing Rainbow Six Siege. It doesn't have that kind of potential. Yeah, for you, it's not a gimme. It's not a gimme game. No, it's not. But it, but I see it as a game that could be. Down the line, it could be something that I'm like, okay, this is... Because they get so much stuff right, like the world building aspect. It's got cool environments. The music's good. But it, they're not capitalizing on it. I remember this one moment when we were just walking through a cave and you said, look, we're rushing through this thing and it's pretty cool. If they just took the pacing and changed a little bit, it would be more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. And I was saying, yeah, look how amazing this setting is and how much work they've done on this environment. And then all you're thinking about is, can I summon my sparrow here? Like oh, shit. So I can fly through it at 50 miles an hour. It's like, wow, what a waste. <laughs> Really, what a waste. Well, I think that's our conclusion, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think it? that's that's really just about us. So I would give it a 7. I think my maximum score for this game would probably be, in its current form, as you've said, probably about an 8. I would agree with that. I think as a franchise, the maximum potential for me would be 10 out of 10. This could very, very yeah. easily be the kind of game that I would play for hundreds and hundreds of hours, thousands of hours even, and just never get bored. Um, but I think there are a lot of... It's not actually the way that they've built the game for me. It's the ethos behind the way they've designed the systems in the game. Things like making abilities have really long cooldowns and having exotic gear with disappointing perks and traits and stuff. I mean, it just it makes me question, what is the point of this stuff if you're not supposed to use it and feel powerful when you use it? So for me, I think there needs to be a slight season change at Bungie to address these issues. I don't know if that will ever happen. I believe that I heard that there's a contract that Bungie has essentially to make four Destiny games. Each of them was supposed to be a 10-year game. They've got a contract to make four of them. I don't know how that was supposed to work. <laughs> so I, I do hope that they improve things. Like you've said, I think there's uh, some things that are only going to get changed in a sequel. I still think there's a lot of work that they can do to make things really great in this game. I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. And I'm hopeful that they can get it right next time. I really am. I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that Forsaken is the turning over of a new leaf and that we will see more like this rather than less. Like the Taken King was the, the high point. Yeah. The point in Destiny yes. 1. Very much so. Um, and then, of course, we got Rise of Iron in the, in the first one. I played through the first one. I would say the first one at its peak is kind of where we are now mm -hmm. as well. So that also means that Destiny 2 was not a significant improvement over its predecessor. In fact, in many ways, it was arguably worse. Yeah. Uh, however, I'm very glad to be on PC now. That's the one thing <laughs> I can say is yes. significant improvement. Yeah. I don't have to play on my PS4 at, you know, with a 
the, oh man, I went back and took a look at um, the first Destiny, and the first thing that was, it was unbearable, because it's 30 FPS and the field of view is so narrow. It was like, okay, I'm going back to Destiny 2. I couldn't go back and play the first game. <laughs> That's really funny. But uh, yeah. Not everyone is as spoiled I, I, as I you. I kind of wish, I kind of wish that you could play the campaign from the first game in the second game as well. well. That would have been really cool because I feel like if you haven't played the the campaign from Destiny One, you're kind of missing out on some lore yeah, really. and some some like the Vanguard is not as interesting to you if you haven't played the first game where they kind of play a more central mm -hmm. role. Yeah, I remember feeling. You know, that there's way. there's character relations, uh, you know, characters on the tower that you don't know that you would have known if you'd played the first mm -hmm. game. But then we've really we've addressed the the issues with plot transparency essentially, yeah. And it seems to be just an ongoing I think problem. They really need to invest in 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 writing for the for the next Destiny. The second one was an improvement in terms of the main story of the first game was really bad. They improved upon that with the expansion, and I'd say that the story of Destiny Two was about that level as well. Forsaken's gotten a bit darker, but as far as a story, from a storytelling point of view, I don't think it's like amazing or anything. The characters are all fairly, like you said, one-dimensional cu cardboard cutouts for the most part. I think if they if they really make some great like characters with multiple, uh, you know, driving forces behind them, maybe some some kind of conflict. There's potential there to make even your allies more interesting mm -hmm. in this universe yeah. and thus make a much more interesting Very story so. instead of here's generic bad guy McBatterson. Yeah. And generic Zavala McZavalison, who's just yeah. Yeah, one of the <clears throat> boring. One of the complaints that I, I watched this video by uh, one of the guys of the layman. Mm -hmm. He also has his own Skill up. Uh, channel, Skill right? Up. And yeah. yeah, exactly. And he did this big review of forsaken as well as the base game and he said that yeah uh the base game must have been really popular or really tailored uh towards a focus group and if you think about it like the the main bad guy of the first of, of the campaign of destiny yeah. 2 you know not exactly a memorable antagonist. Or I almost feel like yeah destiny 2 was trying to appeal to people who would normally play call of duty to be honest that's what it felt like. Yeah, that's what he said as well. If you want to casually play Destiny 2, that's fine. But if you're somebody who wants to go hardcore and play the end game, that wasn't a fun experience. And now they fixed that. There's more yeah. to do. Are, yeah, I'd say there's a lot more to do. I wouldn't say that it's definitely a game that I would play the way I've played other games like um, Warframe, no, for sure, example, but... or a few others. But um it's much better yes, than it was. Yes, it is definitely markedly improved. Um, That's the main takeaway mm -hmm, here. Yeah. So if you are a Destiny 2 pass holder or prospective purchaser, I would say if you're going to go all the way and you're going to get Forsaken, go for it. If you're thinking about just buying the game, the base game, to try it out, don't bother. Um, that is still my impression, even with all the fixes, updates, rebalances, reworks, additions, changes, and everything else that they've made to the base game, I still do not feel that it is worth the money that it costs just to get that game. I would say go Forsaken or go Broke. That's my personal opinion. 
Yeah, I want to do one little addition to that, little addendum, I suppose, and that is if you get Forsaken, there will be an option to boost your character to level 30. You could do that, but I would advise against it. You Otherwise, you just skip out on the entire campaign of base destiny and as such also some of the exotics and stuff like that that you can get. Plus the easiest, fastest growth anyway that you're going to have in the whole game. Yeah. So what I would recommend is save that boost for maybe a second character and use it on a second yeah, class. Yeah, when you don't want to play all that over again, basically. Well, I think that's it for this episode, isn't it? I would agree, yes. We will be returning with another episode of XP Gains soon. Um, I've, I currently have an episode in the works with a guest host right now. Um, because I wasn't there. Because you weren't there. So that's coming up. It's an episode with Mr. Jeers. He's the guy that joins us in our Divinity Original Sin 2 playthrough, which we still haven't completed, which is why this one is about Destiny 2 and not about Divinity Original Sin 2. We hope to be back, you know, in a month or so with uh, hopefully having finished Divinity Original Sin. I'm crossing my fingers real bad. I know you can't see this, but I'm crossing them. If we're not done with the game yet, we'll talk about some other game. Maybe we'll talk about Total War Warhammer 2. Yep, which we've been playing. Maybe it's some random talk uh, about some of the uh, latest news stories gaming has to offer. We're not sure yet, but it will mm -hmm. depend. Either way. But I hope... I hope you look forward to that. So, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much ties up everything that we were going to talk about this episode. I think you've talked about the next stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, and that should be us. And with that said, this episode of XP Gains concludes. Thank you once again for tuning in, Guardian. And wherever you are in the world, we both want to wish you good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Because that's what Guardians do. Goodbye, everybody.